Good morning, I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. Good to have you with us here today for our Congregation of Prayer, a guide for daily meditation and prayer around God's Word. It's Saturday, October 23rd, 2021. And what we do during the school year is we consider tomorrow's Old Testament and Epistle readings and look at some devotional resources to help us prepare to hear those readings and uh, prepare to preach and listen to them. Preach, in my case, you listen. All right. So uh, let's get after it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, he descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right. We say our memory verse one more time, Psalm 139. You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. And our psalm for this week was Psalm 129. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, let Israel now say. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed upon my back, they made long their furrows. The Lord is righteous, he has cut the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backward. Let them be like grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaves his arms. Nor do those who pass by say, The blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Now, before we move on, uh, let's hear a devotion on the psalm. We've been praying it all week, and I've kind of told you a little bit, um, but let's get a fuller meditation on it. According to Holy Scripture, the lot of the true Israel in this world involves a great deal of grief from those distressed by the very thought of God and offended at the occasional recollection of his claims. Often enough, persecution ensues. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. <clears throat> 2 Timothy 3 verse 12. Psalm 128, Hebrew 129, speaks of the history of this persecution and the Lord's constant deliverance of his people in the face of it. Many times have they warred against me from my youth, let Israel now say. Many times have they warred against me from my youth, but they could not prevail against me. <clears throat> the sinful contrived behind my back, perpetual in iniquity, but the righteous Lord broke the necks of the sinful. This persecution is described as a warfare. They warred against me, in our translation, afflicted me. 
The Greek verb here is epolemason, a close inspection of which will remind one of the cognate word polemics. Ours being a fallen world, life in the service of God provokes any amount of such polemics. As we have had occasion to reflect many times in these pages, the book of Psalms is a prayer book for warriors. And when began this persecution of this polemic against God's people, from my youth would seem to place the beginnings of the experience pretty far back in Israel's memory. (laughs) Perhaps one might think of the early oppressions of the Egyptians, Exodus 1, or the Moabites, Judges 3, or the Canaanites, Judges 4, or the Midianites, Judges 6, or the Ammonites, Judges 10 and 1 Samuel 11, and so on. The polemic against the righteous, however, goes back farther still. From my youth would seem to include even the murder of righteous Abel, Genesis 4, who we are told, quote, offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, Hebrews 11, verse 4. Indeed, Christ our Lord apparently took from my youth to begin at that exact point, for he spoke of, quote, all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, Matthew 23, 35. And in the same context, the Lord further prophesied that this persecution, this relentless polemic, will continue yet. Quote, I will send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. Matthew 23, verse 34. For all that, says our psalm, quote, they could not prevail against me. Indeed, they cannot prevail, whether by persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecu- what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. St. Paul, 2 Timothy 3, verse 11. Therefore, we take heart from this repeated experience of God's deliverance. Quote, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 and 9. Our psalm ends with a threefold imprecation imprecation against the persecutors, which is perhaps one of the most ironic pieces of poetry in the whole book of Psalms. It compares the sinful to the dried-up grass on the mud roof, but instead of simple passing mention of this metaphor, our psalm pauses to let us meditate more deeply on its implications. Such dried-out grass, we reflect, never becomes part of the harvest. No reaper will gather it, It will never be bundled nor bailed, and for that reason it will never be the occasion for the customary blessing mutually extended by the laborers at the time of harvest. For that you can see uh, Ruth chapter 2 verse 4. This is a truly remarkable section of poetry, dwelling on various benedictions that are never to be. Such is the everlasting loss of the sinful that waged war on Israel from his youth. The imprecations are entirely negative. The hatred of holy Zion leads to the loss of a blessing that need not have been lost. The shallow roots wither. There is no harvest for it. The voice of blessing will never again be heard. Let them be ashamed and confounded, all those who hate Zion. Let them become like grass on the rooftops, all dried out before the plucking. The harvester took it not in hand, nor the bundler take it in his bosom. Neither did the passerby say, The Lord's blessing be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. All right, there ends our meditation.
it's kind of an abrupt end to the psalm, is it not? Yes, it is. But so it is. All right. Our Old Testament reading tomorrow is the creation according, uh, recorded according to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing for you today in the interest of time. We'll read it tomorrow. Um, but listen to the end here from chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. All right, as you know, um, the seventh day is the Sabbath day. It's the day of rest. And um, as you've learned from the small catechism, in regards to the third commandment, um, remember this: remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. This refers to the hearing of God's word, right? Which is why... Uh, we set apart Sunday, in particular, as our Sabbath uh, for the hearing of God's Word. But as you know also from the Catechism, um, the commandment has to do not just with the day of the week, but it has to do with God's Word being present and active and being heard throughout your whole life, right? Um, so uh, I want to share with you uh, from Luther's Treatise on Good Works, Volume 44, um, his part of his exposition on the Third Commandment there. All right. This is uh, page 71 of Luther's Works, volume 44, his treatise on good works. This commandment, third commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, if understood in its spiritual intention, has a deeper, much deeper meaning, which embraces the whole nature of man. Here it must be understood that in Hebrew, Sabbath means a festival or rest. Because God rested on the seventh day and ceased from all his works which he had created, he commanded that man should also celebrate the seventh day, and that we should cease from our works, which we do on the other six days. This same Sabbath has been changed into Sunday for us, and the other days are called working days. Sunday means a day of rest, or a day of celebration, or a holy day. And would to God that in Christendom there were no holidays except Sundays, and that we made all the festivals of Our Lady and the Saints fall on Sundays. <laughs> The labor of the workdays would prevent much vice. The land also would not be so poor and impoverished. But these days we are plagued with many holy days, the destruction of souls, bodies, and goods. A great deal more could be said on this matter. But this rest or pause from work is of two kinds, bodily and spiritual. For this reason, this commandment is to be understood in two ways. Right? The Sabbath day. The bodily celebration or rest is what we have just discussed, that we put aside the work of our hands and rest from our labor so that we may gather in church, see mass, hear God's word, and offer common single-minded prayer together. All right? Neither is this festival, though intended for the benefit of the body, celebrated in Christendom by God's command. As the apostle says in Colossians 2, let no man bind you by obligation to any kind of festival. For in ancient times, these festivals were signs, but now the truth has been fulfilled, so that all days are holy days. As Isaiah 66 says, one holy day shall follow another. Or put it the other way around, all days are work days. Yet it is uh, Sunday, it, it, Sunday, is a necessity, and is ordained by the church for the sake of the imperfect laity and the working class, so that they may also come to hear the word of God. For as we see, the priests and clergy celebrate Mass every day, 
pray at all hours, and train themselves in God's word by studying, reading, and listening. For this reason, they are freed from the work which is done by others and are supported by tithes. They have a holy day every day and do the works of a holy day every day. For them, there is no working day. Every day is like the other. And if we were all perfect and knew the gospel, we might work every day if we wanted or rest if we could. For a day of rest now is neither necessary nor is it commanded except for the teaching of God's word and prayer. The spiritual rest which God especially intends in this commandment is that we not only cease from our labor and trade, but much more that we let God alone work in us, and that all, in all our powers we uh, do we do nothing of our own. But how is this done? In this way. Man, corrupted by sin, has much wicked love and inclination to all sins. Man is, as Scripture describes him in Genesis 8, man's heart and mind incline always to evil. That is, to pride, disobedience, anger, hatred, covetousness, etc. To sum up, in all that he does or leaves undone, he rather seeks his own advantage and his own way. He seeks his own honor rather than God's and that of his neighbor. Therefore, all his works and all his uh, words and all his thoughts, all of his life are evil and not godly. Now, if God is to live and work in him, all this vice and wickedness must be choked and uprooted so that in this event there is a rest from our works, words, thoughts, and life, so that henceforth, as St. Paul says in Galatians 2, it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives, works, and speaks in us. This is not accomplished with comfortable, pleasant days. On the contrary, in these circumstances, a man must hurt his own nature and let it be hurt. Here the strife between the spirit and flesh begins. Here the spirit resists anger, lust, and pride, while the flesh wants to enjoy pleasure, honor, and comfort. As St. Paul says in Galatians 5, that are they that are our Lord's Christ have crucified the flesh with its affection and lust. Only then do good works ensue, fasting, watching, labor, about which some say and write so much, although they know neither the source nor the purpose of these good works. All right, and then he goes on to describe them. So I think what's really important to note here is that um, Luther is right in saying that there is no particular day, although the church has appointed Sunday, Uh, But you could gather Wednesday evening. We have a service at seven o'clock. But I think it's even bigger than that. And and Luther hints at this, is that we always um, set aside our work for a time and maybe do it every day, which is what we're doing here with the Congregation of Prayer. Um, Regularly, consistently, excuse me, setting aside a time of the day, uh, maybe even with our family, if if God has blessed us with one, um, to study, to hear, um, to learn God's word. Right? And then God will give us um, to serve faithfully, joyfully, pleasantly, and for our good and the good of our neighbor in our vocations uh, throughout our days. Uh, we've lost this, I think. And um, of course, there's the pattern set up in the Old Testament to go about our work with God's word and sing a hymn and that sort of thing. All right, So it's really a, uh, actually an incredible work. You can read the whole um, conversation about the third commandment there in his treatise on good works by Luther, volume 44. I was reading from page 72. All right. And now our epistle is from Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the t- uh, or stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. 
Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, and here's the key, which is the word of God. All right, and so we're going to see that theme again here, the word of God. It's the word of God that does the thing. The Sabbath is given for the sake of hearing God's word. Here, um, the way that God equips you, the way that he um, protects you, that he guards your head and your heart is through his word, right? Breastplate, helmet, right? Um, and your defense against all the fiery darts of the evil one is that shield of, what do you call it? Uh, the shield of faith, right? And um, then you have the sword of the spirit, right? Um, so we have all this armament language being applied to you as Christians. And of course, it's the Lord who arms you for the battle. Uh, Luther takes this up um, when he's talking about the, uh, what's the preface to the large catechism. Uh, and we really probably should talk about this, but he's talking about why the catechetical life. Why do we study, pray, uh, the catechism, and he's going to refer to these, the armament, the what, what the catechism, in that it confesses God's word, what it gives to us. All right, so this is paragraph 11 from the preface to the large catechism by Luther. For this reason alone, you should eagerly read, recite, ponder, and practice the catechism, even if the only blessing and benefit you obtain from it is to rout the devil and evil thoughts. For he cannot bear to hear God's word. God's word is not like some empty tale, such as the one about Dietrich of Bern. But as St. Paul says in Romans 1, um, verse 16, it is, quote, the power of God. Indeed, the power of God, which burns the devil and gives us immeasurable strength, comfort, and help. That's the word. Why should I waste words? Time and paper would fail me if I would recount all the blessings that flow from God's word. The devil is called the master of a thousand arts. What then shall we call God's word, which routs and destroys the master of a thousand arts with all his wiles and might? It must indeed be the master of more than a hundred thousand arts. Shall we frivolously despise this might, blessing, power, and fruit, especially we who would be pastors and preachers? If so, we deserve not only to be refused food, but also to be chased out by dogs and pelted with dung. Not only do we need God's word daily as we need our daily bread, we also must use it daily against the daily incessant attacks and ambushes of the devil with his thousand arts. If this were not enough to admonish us to read the Catechism daily, there is God's command. That alone should be incentive enough. Deuteronomy 6 verses 7 and 8 solemnly enjoins that we should always meditate upon his precepts, whether sitting, walking, standing, lying down, or rising, and keep them before our eyes and in our hands as a constant token and sign. Certainly God did not require and command this so solemnly without good reason. He knows our danger and need. He knows the constant and furious attacks and assaults of the devil. So he wishes to warn, equip, and protect us against them with good armor, to our epistle point, against their flaming darts. And that's just explicitly quoting our epistle. And with a good antidote against their evil, infection, and poison. Oh, what mad, senseless fools we are! 
We must ever live and dwell in the midst of such mighty enemies as the devils, and yet we despise our weapons and armor, too lazy to give them a thought. Look at these bored, presumptuous saints who will not and cannot read and study the Catechism daily. They evidently consider themselves much wiser than God himself, and wiser than all his holy angels, prophets, apostles, and all Christians. God himself is not ashamed to teach it daily, for he knows of nothing better to teach, and he always keeps on teaching this one thing without varying it with anything new or different. All right. So, and then he keeps going. <laughs> Luther's pretty intense in the preface here. But notice, um, we know the devil's going to attack us daily, and so God would have us daily study his word, which is the armor which protects us from the flaming darts and are, is a good antidote against their evil infection and poison. This is how God chooses to protect us. So again, that's why you're here with us each day, each morning uh, for our congregation of prayer. Um, this is why we have daily congregation of prayer in our school. The whole school prays together and uh, hears and marks, learns and inwardly digests God's word so that by patience and uh, comfort from God's holy word, we'd be prepared to hold fast, um, especially even into the day of judgment. All right. And uh, if you haven't taken up this exercise, this practice, it's um, commanded in God's word, but not in a, um, well, I wouldn't even say commanded. I mean, it is commanded, uh, <laughs> but I maybe preferred to say um, it's given to us in God's word as a blessing. It only becomes a command when we neglect it and only then becomes a indicting on our conscience, right? All right. So hopefully that'll help uh, prepare you tomorrow as we'll hear about uh, the role of God's word in our faith and life. And uh, there we go. Speaking of uh, hearing and studying the catechism, let's pray the first article of the creed together and its explanation. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. What does this mean? I believe that God has made me and all creatures, that he has given me my body and soul, eyes, ears, and all my members, my reason and all my senses, and still takes care of them. He also gives me clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, wife and children, land, animals, and all I have. He richly and daily provides me with all that I need to support this body and life. He defends me against all danger and guards and protects me from all evil. All this he does only out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in me. For all this, it is my duty to thank and praise, serve and obey him. This is most certainly true. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, your word gives life and has created and sustains all things. We thank you for the sun, the moon, and the stars which give light to the earth and order our days and seasons. We give thanks to you for the expanse of the sky, for the water that sustains all of life, and for the dry land upon which we live. We give thanks to you for the plants and animals of your creation. You have given all of this to us for our good and for our enjoyment. We give thanks to you that you have created us in your image, male and female, to be fruitful and multiply and to have rest and dominion over the creation. We thank you for ordering our lives and giving us rest and refreshment through your word. But most of all, we thank you for redeeming us and all creation from sin and death through the gift of your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to trust in you as our Creator and to believe in your Son for eternal life and salvation. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Pray together the Collect. O Lord, grant to your faithful people pardon and peace 
that they may be cleansed from all their sins and serve you with a quiet mind. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. On this Saturday, we pray for faithfulness to the end, for the renewal of those who are withering in the faith or have fallen away, for pastors as they prepare to administer Christ's holy gifts, and for receptive hearts and minds on the Lord's day. We also pray today in Thanksgiving with Doug, who celebrates his birthday. We pray for our households, Alicia, Jeannie, Jim, Stephen and Morgan, David and Ruth. Pray for those um, in Thanksgiving who um, labored and made effort to rehab our teacherage. Pray for those ill, receiving treatment or recovering, especially Tristan, Marcella, Kelsey, Ron, Joel, Amanda, Dan, and John, Timothy, Janice, Sandy, Ken, Norman, Sandy, Kathy, and Mike. Our homebound Bev, David, Roy, Willis, Mickey, and Paul. The missions and mercy work of the church, especially Orphan Grain Train. We intercede for a denial of self amongst us. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. All right. Uh, we also pray today, again, um, in memory of St. James of Jerusalem, the brother of our Lord. Heavenly Father, shepherd of your people, you raised up James the just, brother of our Lord, to lead and guide your church. Grant that we may follow his example of prayer and reconciliation and be strengthened by the witness of his death. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger. And I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right, we sing our hymn one more time lovely confession of who God is for us as Father and Creator.
know, I tried to do something different there and I got a little goofed up on which stance I was in. All right. Uh, Lord be with you all and keep you safe. That's the conclusion of our congregation of prayer for today, Saturday, October 23rd. Of course, you can join us tomorrow morning. I encourage you to do so in person for divine service at 9.30 a.m. We'll have Bible study following. Um, Also see, hopefully I'll get this out here in the next few minutes, an email um, which will indicate uh, that we don't have the workshop with uh, Craig Turpy tomorrow. Um, We're going to reschedule that um, maybe after the first of the year and be more intentional about enlisting um, you uh, committing to attending, okay? Um, So watch for that. That'll come after the first of the year. All right, so Lord be with you all, keep you safe, and we'll see you tomorrow at 9.30.